Uh, we ready for war. Never back down. Give me some more. We came for the title. Welcome into another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. On this week's episode, we have Jake Sable. Jake is the head baseball coach at Central Michigan University. This is his first year at Central Michigan, and in this episode, he he talks a lot about his past experiences as a as a coach and and as a player. Very unique story and background. So he played at Central Michigan himself and, and was drafted as a pitcher, but in high school he was actually cut from his high school baseball team and um, and the, you know as as a junior and then as a senior he came back and made the team, but he didn't even play that much then and just kept working and working and finally was able to he got a walk on spot at Central Michigan and and took took advantage of it and the rest is is history so I think it's uh it's it's pretty inspiring to hear hear a story like that and also very cool just because he's he's been a head coach now for nine years and he's only 35 years old and so it's it's uh, pretty cool to talk to somebody who's right around my age, but has way more head coach ex- head coach experience than I do. So uh, appreciate him for coming on the podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to share it with somebody, uh, text it to a friend, share it on social media. That's how this podcast is going to grow faster than any other way is going to be word of mouth. So if you enjoy the show, please share it. And here we go with Jake Sable. This is my time, I grind and shine. I put in the work and push the line. I'm holding my cram. I never back down. All right, we now welcome onto the podcast Jake Sable, who's the head baseball coach at Central Michigan University. Jake, thanks for coming on the show today. Hey, Patrick, I appreciate you having me on, man. So one of the things that uh I've been thinking about lately because I've been just beginning a lot of different questions. And I think that, you know, it's be you being a head coach at a, at a division one program, because it feels like the the rules are always changing is, is, you know, how does it work in the, in the fall when it comes to rosters? Like, are, are you allowed a certain amount of players or, or unlimited amount of players in the fall? And then after fall balls over, you have cuts and things like that, and then have to be at a certain number for the spring or how does the, the, the roster work? I think that's something that I've been getting questions on lately from, from different parents. I think that'd be interested to hear. Yeah. Well, I think uh, if this was the two and a half, three months ago, I, I was having the same questions, <laughs> you know, with our administration compliance and all that stuff when I took over, um, because I think there's what I've learned is there's a little gray area in there. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing that kind of stands out amongst that piece is, is the title nine aspect that your university has put in place. Um, so depending on how many female athletes you would have spread across different sports here kind of gives you an idea, you know, are you, are you good at 35? Can you, can you push to 40 a little bit? Um, you know, so I think that that is from university to university kind of open ended there. Um, for us, like when I first started, I was kind of told, hey, 35. And then as we kind of moved throughout the summertime, you know, field hockey added a few more women's soccer added a few more. So we were able to, to get up to that 40 number, um, which we feel obviously is very valuable to have a few more guys in in the program uh, to let guys compete and figure out how you can build some depth and that kind of stuff. So th- that's a great question. I don't know that there's a a firm set answer. I think different schools and different conferences across the country are, are in a little different position when it comes to that kind of stuff. But um, I do know once we return in January, February, there is a date where we got to kind of, you know, we got to, we got to have our 40 guys. Right. And, and uh, you know, so some guys, some programs might have a few more in the fall and they're going to work through that process, whether it's a, 
you know, they, they happen to cut players or they happen to have guys transfer. I don't know. Um, like when I played here, it was 35 and, and that was it. You're 35. So I think with COVID happening and a few other of those, uh, uh, you know, over the last couple of years have allowed the rules to be flexible a little bit there. Um, but for us, we have 40 currently, which makes it pretty clean heading into next uh, in the next semester that, you know, we don't want to be a program that that has that stigma that we're going to bring in, you know, five extra guys and let them duke it out. And, 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 and five guys will be without a place to play, you know, when it comes to January and February, we, we take a lot of pride in developing our players and being open and honest about that situation. So when they get here, they have an idea of what that looks like. How, uh, how important is fall ball? And I know, I know it's important and I know that it's, it's maybe it's based upon how old the player is, but I work with a lot of like high school kids now and they're getting ready to, you know, next year will go off to some of them will go off to college and they're, they're not, they're not, they don't have a proven track record. Right. And so this is kind of the, the first time that coaches, you know, that their coach is going to be able to see them in the fall. And one of the things that I heard recently is like, your freshman fall ball, like is probably the most important season that you're going to have up to, up to that point in your career. Um, what, what are your thoughts on fall ball for incoming freshmen? Cause I mean, I know there's individuals and things like that after, but from an evaluation standpoint, like that, that has to like those few weeks have to be the most important thing in terms of a, where they are in the depth chart and then be like where you see them at going forward in the program too. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. And I would say not only do I agree with it with incoming freshmen or transfers, but but everybody every year, you know, outside of maybe the guy or two that, you know, is a an all conference returner who threw 100 and some innings and went up to the Cape and he's going to shut him down. Like there's going to be some individual circumstances that kind of you allow things to happen and, and let those guys take a breather a little bit during the fall because you know what to expect. But for the most part, I kind of share with our guys. Um, the fall is the best chance for you to come in and prove yourself and prove why you should be making an impact for our program uh, right away. You know, I think in our, in our program, our hitters are going to get, you know, 50, 60 live at bats. Our pitchers will throw 10, 15, maybe 20 innings in the fall. That's a pretty good sample size for us to get an idea if you're ready to help us right now or not. And then if we feel like you're a little shy, now we've got five or six weeks here of individual work to figure out, okay, where, where do I lack, you know, the, the things that I need to help this program right now? Can I get on the track, man, get on the Rapsodo, get with our pitching coach, get with our hitting coaches, figure out a way to keep developing so that when I get back in January and February, I'm a different player than I was in the fall. Um, and different programs run it a little bit differently. You know, you get your, your 20 hours a week. We chose to start that right away when we got here on campus. Other programs might do their individuals for a couple of weeks first and then dive into their fall and then wrap up with maybe two or three weeks. So I think that just depends program to program. But um, in, in our in our opinion, like playing outside and competing in a team atmosphere is so valuable. And, you know, so what you do at the end, what you do over the course of that six or seven week fall period just gives us a pretty good idea of what we're going to have moving into the spring. I love individual work. I love moving. I think our indoor facilities are great here but it's not playing live in a game. So we can get a ton better in those situations and during that phase, but we, we tend to value what guys do in a live scenario outside against other teams or against other members of their team in an inner squad setting um, to hopefully give us a pretty good idea of, okay, what do we have to work with here and how do we get better moving forward? So that's kind of our personal opinion. And then every year, I think our guys just, they come back in the, in the fall, like hungry. This is my time to prove myself, you know? And so I don't care if you were a 40 game starter last year or through 50 innings, like 
every year is going to be a little bit different. The roster is going to be a little bit different. The expectations are going to be a little bit different. So like the fall is that time for guys to come in and say, hey, look what I did all summer and I'm ready to go take on a bigger role when I get back here. What are some of the things that you've already started to implement this year as, as the head coach? This is your first year at the program. I know you said that in your when you're in your press conference that things are going to be a little bit different too. Like some of the things are going to be some of the same. Some things are going to be a little bit different. Like what are some of the things that um, you're implementing this year that maybe weren't there in years past? Yeah, um, I think the probably the biggest thing is going to be allowing our guys to to play the game and have some flexibility uh, to, to make some adjustments on their own. I think uh, when you're in a program that has so much success for four or five years and you're involved in that, like you only know one way and you do it really well and it's hard to stray away from some of that stuff and or to learn something new. Um, I'm not saying we're doing things completely different because we're not. I think there's a branch of what we do already um, that was here in the past. We're, I think from an offensive standpoint, just trying to get our guys to to, to love playing offense, you know, and uh, their on-base percentage was such a big deal in this program before, and it certainly is going to continue to to be at the top uh, moving forward. But I want our guys looking to do damage at the plate, opening up the zone a little bit, being ready to be the aggressive one when it comes to the pitcher and hitter battle, and, and uh, the extra base hit numbers are going to climb. The stolen base percentage is going to climb. I think guys are going to have a lot more fun – um, playing offense that way. And, and that's going to spark energy in the dugout and allow your defense to feel pretty comfortable because you know what you're going to do from an offensive standpoint. So um, not a, not a ton of changes, but I, I do think we're, we're capable of, of putting up some pretty good offensive numbers. And, and uh, yeah, we play in a big park where the ball doesn't fly very much. Um, uh, my goal, and I, I probably said it in my press conference was to start making that place play pretty small and to be able to do that, you got to have intent with what you're trying to do from an offensive standpoint at practice. So, um, you know, I think just having a little bit more fun, allowing them to have a little bit more freedom about, okay, who am I facing today? I, I just haven't had bat. Let's come back into the dugout. Let's chat about what I saw. Does it match with the scouting report? Does it not match with the scouting report? How can we make those in-game adjustments to, to be a little bit better, help our teammates out. So um, that's kind of the thing that's standing out the most, I think, for us over these first five or six weeks. Um, but also, like, I played in this program. I worked for Jordan Bischel for a year. Um, like, there's a lot of really good things that, the his, you know, this program has had in the history of the last 100-plus years. And, you know, my, our job is to just to maintain it moving forward and make it a little bit better each year for guys who are in the program. So, um, you know, he, he did a great uh, – he had a great tenure here for those five years and and uh, just want to continue to build on it moving forward. What What's something as a um... – as a head coach that, that maybe you do that if other coaches heard it, they'd be like, man, that's interesting. I never would have thought of that. Or that's kind of like a head scratcher. Like, is there, is there something that you do? Cause this isn't like your first time as a head coach, you've been, you have, you have experience as a head coach. And I think that sometimes there's coaches out there who, who do things it's like, and others are like, man, I would never do that. But is there anything out there that you do that's like that? Um, so you want all my secrets is what you're asking. Basically, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, this is a game, right? It's the same game we've been playing for a long time. Now, now things have certainly changed, even from what I played, like the technology standpoint, um, the pitch clock, uh, all that kind of stuff is, is a little bit different. You've got to learn on the fly to figure out ways to adapt and be really good. I think if we're just going to teach the game the same way every single year, because that's how we were taught it, we're going to get passed by pretty quickly. We have to be able to adapt and take some of the things from the, from the new age style to help implement to your program for your guys to get better. So um, I think for us, 
I think our mentality, really, maybe when guys come to the field, I want them coming to the field with a smile on their face. I want them to be excited about playing the game of baseball around their teammates and their best buddies um, each and every day and trying to get a lot better and working their tails off. And, and uh, so that being said, you know, our dugout's going to have a lot of energy. They're going to support one another. They're not going to constantly be looking over their shoulder wondering if I make a mistake here, am I coming out of the game or, you know, is this coach seeing me laughing over here in the end of the dugout? Like it's okay. I tell our guys all the time. It's, it's okay to smile. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to throw the football around a little bit before practice. Like that's, I want our guys excited about coming to the field every single day and, and working their tails off for two hours and not dreading coming it coming to practice because we've been out there for four, four or five hours or, or because we're always getting on guys for making mistakes. I think making mistakes is part of the game um, and you have to learn and adjust and adapt. And if you're doing the right things, you're, you're going to grow from those kind of things. So just keeping a loose environment, um, I think that will, for me, like I think when I first started to get into coaching and you kind of hear this all the time, probably from other coaches, you know, you want to you want to be a coach that you wanted to play for. Right. So I think those are some things that are pretty important. I, I just want our guys enjoying being there. And I think they're willing to have a little bit more stake in the game and and, and work a little bit harder when that's kind of the, the mindset and the concept. So we might do some things a little bit differently um, than, than other programs that, that kind of like you shared may may kind of not not enjoy it that way. But I also the unique thing is this is our program. This is, you know, not, not my program, but all, all 40 of our players and our coaching staff, like this is our program. It's not, you know, the head coach is someone else, let them run their program the way they want to run it, you know? So I don't really have a, a huge issue with how certain people do their job. I think that that's up to them. And so I'm just worried about controlling our guys and making sure they play the game the way that we teach it. And they're excited about being there. And, and that's kind of my biggest goal is them taking ownership in who we are as a ball club and, and executing it on, on game day. Yeah, that's good stuff. I um, I was I was thinking earlier as I was you know kind of getting ready to do this podcast, and I like doing some some background work. And I was listening to a, a podcast that that you were on. Actually, your dad was on too, mm. and he uh, told told a story which I thought was really interesting about how you know you you ended up getting drafted. Um, you had a great college career, but in high school you got cut from the high school team. And I thought, like, man, like, that's pretty. You don't hear that every day, right? Like a guy gets cut in high school from his high school baseball team. He ends up pitching at a division one college baseball program. He ends up getting drafted. You know what I mean? Like take me, like I, I'm very intrigued to hear like how all that went down. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a unique story, uh, you know, and I think one that allowed me to grow into the person I am today. And, and I think what it allowed me to do was just, once I, I was in the right place at the right time. That's kind of what it was. Like when I first got here as a player, I, I probably wasn't good enough to play. Um, amongst the other guys in the program, I was a, a long ways away. Um, and, uh, you know, I think what that moment allowed me to do was to, to create a choice for myself. I could give up and be done with the game of baseball forever. Uh, or I could just put my head down and work a little bit and not worry about what everyone said and just work my tail off to be a little bit better next year so when I got another chance I could continue to play this game and and that's tough for a high school kid because you know your uh, eyes are on you you want to be around your buddies and and people can write you off quickly when something like that happens and and uh, so I give a lot of credit to my parents because um, they didn't allow that to happen you know um, they kind of saw something in me that that I saw a little bit myself too but maybe it wasn't so well known at the time um, but you know I just 
I knew I wanted to keep playing. And what was I going to do? I was either just going to give up or I was going to do my best to get myself back on the saddle and give myself a chance the following year. So that's what I did. Was fortunate to to play as a senior, um, played sparingly, had some chances on the mound, played a little infield. Um, you know, what wasn't uh, wasn't a great player by any means, and and uh, was went to went to a showcase in in the summertime. One of the or one of the rare ones, and now you can you can go to a, sh a showcase every single day in the summertime. It feels like if you want to, <laughs> um, it was one of the only ones around. And I snuck in late as a last minute addition um, uh, because of a friend of, uh, of the family who kind of got me in there and, and I threw the ball really well. And um, that's kind of where I was able to get an opportunity to come play here. Hey, um, you know, you can come be a walk on. Uh, we'll see kind of how it works out. And, and uh, so I took that chance and, and, uh, you know, ended up just buying into every little thing that they tried to teach me here, whether it was right or wrong. I didn't care. I didn't know any better. I was just going to listen to someone who was in a position to help me get better, who showed that they cared about me. And that was good enough for me. And so for five years, I, I, I worked, I listened, I, I put in the effort. I went and played summer ball every summer. I did whatever it took for me to make an impact because as you get into a program like Central Michigan, who's year in and year out, uh, competing for a championship, putting out draft picks, you start to see some of the older guys have those experiences. And you're like, man, I, I want that for myself, you know, and it's not that far away out of your grasp as you might think. So um, I had some great role models that I, that I learned from that I played uh, with here, former players, former coaches that kind of led me on that path. And, and I think that's a unique path now for me, because as a coach, I see things a little bit differently. My, my path was different, right? And there's going to be some guys who come into our programs, whether it's here at Central Michigan or in the programs I've coached in the past that might not have been ready right away. And, you know, I could give them a little bit of guidance. Hey, listen to this story, you know, and, and I can help you get there. It might not be perfect, but you got to be willing to commit to this kind of stuff. And, and all of a sudden now you can be a weekend starter, or maybe you're a draft guy, or, or maybe you're making more of an impact than, than you thought you'd ever make. So, um, hopefully it's just, it might not work for everybody, but maybe if I could grab a guy or two who was like myself and, and give them that, that love and that care and that motivation that you can be really good. Um, then I feel like that's a satisfaction of coaching and a big reason why I got into it. So, um, yeah, I was, but also the right place at the right time, man, I was lucky for someone to give me a chance and put me in this, in this unbelievable program to, to learn the game and, and, uh, compete for championships. And it was the experience that, you know, I'm really grateful for. Was it a, a velocity thing? Like what, what was the biggest difference between your time in high school to the time you got drafted? I mean, I'm sure you increased your velocity, but what was the big thing that, that just clicked that took you from, you know, one type of a player to a whole nother level? Yeah. The velocity thing certainly is part of it. Um, you know, I came into central Michigan, probably 84, 85 miles an hour and left here 91, 93, um, and, but also the maturity, the learning how to get people out. I think in high school, you just have your stuff and you go compete and you don't really realize why it's working or, um, you know, what do you have to do to be better the next time around? Uh, so for me, I, I learned a ton. Like I remember the first couple of my first couple of practices as a freshman here, I remember calling my dad after and just saying, dude, why didn't you tell me about this? Like, I did not realize this is how much went into playing college baseball at this level, let any level for that matter, right? The amount of bunt plays and picks you had or the amount of time you spent at practice or X, Y, and Z, all the little things that you learn as you get into college that really aren't taught in the high, at the high school game, 
that might might be might be getting there now, but at that time we're not taught at the high school game. Uh, was pretty crazy and pretty over you know overwhelming at first, but then you start to learn that stuff, and now you're a student of the game, and now you want to you know you want to have an edge on somebody else. So how much can you really learn to give yourself those opportunities to be a little bit better than the next person? Um, was was pretty cool, and I was learning it quickly, and I was maturing, and I was gaining weight, and I you know I learned to love the weight room. There was a time where I finally committed to you know. Uh, I wasn't so upset about getting up to lift in the morning. You know, um, it was more, I was excited about getting there and being there and, and listening to someone who's going to get me a lot stronger. And you started to see your body change a little bit. And now your velo starts ticking up and there's like, Oh, this process is actually working. It's not just what somebody told me was going to happen. Right. So um, that was valuable. I mean, I came in 175, 180 pounds. I left 225, um, you know, and I, I just, that was a was a big reason too. some maturity, my body changes, all that stuff allowed the velocity to tick up and finally was getting some experience. And when you get experience and you start seeing success, I mean, you know how that stuff goes, right? You start to have the confidence now that you never had before. And and uh, you, you quit worrying about who the hitter is and just more about executing who you are. So uh, that, those were probably the, the biggest uh, the biggest takeaways that I had from that. Isn't it crazy though that you were you said you were 8485 coming in? If you you being the head coach there now, if you're out watching a kid who's 8485 right now as a senior in high school, I mean, are you taking a chance on that kid? Yeah, that that's that's what I'm saying about being in the right place at the right time. You know, I think I'm thankful those coaches did at, you know, at, the, <laughs> at that moment. And it was late in the summertime. So maybe there was like a spot that opened up from a draft guy or something, and I just really got lucky. Um, or they saw something in me that a year or two later could could be that guy. Uh, yeah, I, that's a tough question. I, I'd like to be open-minded and try to look for other things outside of velocity, but I know where the game is going, and I think you can get away with a lot more if that velo starts to tick up a little bit. But if you can spin a breaking ball, if you're confident as all get up, if you have a frame that you know has a chance to keep developing and and you throw the you throw you know your strike percentages at an all-time high like those are things that we love in pitchers um i think you can you can get away with some of that stuff but is it a is it a can't miss prospect or a high scholarship guy maybe not right away but but i think we're we're willing to take a peek at some of that stuff if guys just show that they have the ability to to do a few of those things at a high level so and I wasn't that guy. Like I, I don't know. I didn't throw that. Yeah, I threw. I, maybe I threw a lot of strikes. Um, but I couldn't spin a breaking ball until I got to college, really. And it took me a long time to be able to figure that out. Um, I was just a tall, skinny righty who, who was was at the right place at the right time. And someone so had eyes on me that was like, hey, I, I think I can make something out of this, you know, in a year or two. So that that's a very you know like like I tell people all the time like that story just just does not happen. So I I just it's amazing to think, you know, where I'm at now and, and uh, to how it started the way it did. It's pretty remarkable to be honest with you. Yeah. I'm, it is. It's a great story, but I, I will say too, I mean, thinking about it for just a, um, you know, 10,000 foot view, it's like, well, I mean, you were, you know, a tall, you were six, four, six, five. I mean, you were skinny and you could throw some strikes. So I could definitely see where they're, they were probably thinking, Hey, he's, he's projectable. There's a chance that he can, Add, a, add some miles an hour onto it. Um, you mentioned you didn't know how to throw a breaking ball. What was the, the turning point for that? Was it just being around other good pitchers who were showing you or was it, is it trial and error? Like, I think that'd be something interesting that I'm kind of curious about. 
Yeah, I think it was it was both of those things. Well, one, it was it was getting stronger, but it was two, figuring out like how to hold the baseball and how to how to throw it. Right. So I was constantly picking the brain of our older guys who could really spin it. And sometimes I hate to admit this, but it's true. Sometimes you learn more from from your teammates and your and the other players in the program than you do your coaches and which is really valuable. So we want guys within the program who like want to want that stuff to wear off on their teammates. They want to be leaders. They want to help these guys have success and, and uh, so I was able to do that, whether it was here at CMU or in the summertime in a different league and and just try to figure out different grips or different ways to throw the baseball. And and uh, I struggled with it for a long time. I, I was really a, a fastball change up guy like I was I could I you know could throw a change up in any count to left, right. I wasn't afraid to do that. I just felt more comfortable with it for whatever reason. It's usually the opposite. Um, but I had developed that first. So. Once I was able to hopefully, you know, find the slider grip a little bit, um, that was able to allow my my punch out numbers to go up a little bit more, my swing and miss percentage to go up a little bit more. Um, you know, I, it wasn't a really, it wasn't a plus pitch probably to my last couple of years in pro ball, to be honest with you. So it took a lot of time and a lot of different grips and a lot of chatting with different people who did it really well. And, um, you know, I, did, I didn't give up on it. You know, I didn't say I'm just going to throw a curveball or I'm going to bang it and just go to a split or whatnot. I, I knew that at the next level, you got to be able to spin it a little bit. You got to have that pitch that goes the opposite way of your fastball. I was a heavy two seam sinker guy and, and to be able to do that at 90, 93 and, and not have anything to go the other way. Like I, I needed to, to make sure that that was part of what I, who I was as a pitcher. So um, yeah, just playing around with different grips, you know, learning how to throw it, uh, working with several people. I mean, even when I was in college, I'd come home for break and my dad would say, Hey, tomorrow we're going to go see this guy down the road. He specializes in breaking balls or, and I, you know, so <laughs> just trying to, trying to do whatever it could to get me in front of someone who could help me. And, uh, not, it didn't work all the time, but finally something clicked at one, at one point that was a benefit to me, but you know, I just, you had to, you had to try, you had to, you had to work at it. You have to realize how important, uh, certain things are to certain people. And, and if you want to play at the next level, I, I knew I had to spin it at some point. So, um, you know, I'm just glad I was able to figure it out. At what point did you believe, start to believe that you could pitch to the next level? Um, probably. Uh, that's a good question. Probably my junior summer, maybe my redshirt sophomore summer, I, I had went out to the Jayhawk league and I was coming off a, a year in college where I maybe threw 20 innings and I just wanted to go get as many innings as I possibly could. So I went out there um, and, you know, our roster was full of a bunch of big 12 guys and guys from that area. And, and uh, you know, I was still central Michigan division one program. It was kind of looked at as, you know, it wasn't a big 12 program. Right. So I almost had to earn my, earn my innings again in the summertime, which, which was fine. I, I started as a reliever and I, I wasn't super thrilled about it, but I made the best of my opportunities. And, and finally, when I got a chance to, to go into the rotation, I, I, you know, I was, I never left that position. So I ended up, you know, being a uh, um, first team all, all Jayhawk league during that summer. I pitched in the, in the NBC world series and, and uh, threw the ball really well in front of the right people. Right. I think those, when you, our, our team was really good that summer. I think we were, you know, 41 and seven or something along those lines. We ended up winning the NBC world series, the national championship there. And, and I pitched in the championship game and that's, you know, where I was 90, 93 against a team from Alaska. And, and uh, you know, they uh, like baseball America does, they have the little write up of the top 10 prospects in every league after. And I saw my name in there. I was like four or five and I'm like, Holy cow. Like, 
okay, maybe this, maybe this can be a realistic thing. So just came back then uh, to school, like confident and knowing that, okay, now I, now I know I can do it. If other people see that and it's, they're telling me or they're indirectly telling me now it allowed me to believe a little bit more, which shouldn't always be the case, but it helped a guy like myself to be able to see that somebody else was noticing it. So I think that was the time where it was like, okay, this, this could be a realistic opportunity for me here. And then at what point did you, I know you, you ended up getting drafted. You played professionally, had a good career. You had, I mean, I think you, your last year, was it the Frontier League um, at that yep, point? Frontier League. Yeah, yep. Frontier League. Yeah, I mean, you put up really good numbers um, when I was checking earlier today and on baseball reference. I'm surprised you didn't get picked back up after that season. But was coaching in the back of your mind then? I mean, there, was there something else? I think always it's always interesting to hear that transition from that a player to a coach because there's times when, when I hear of co now coaches, but at the time there were players and maybe they went and got a real job and then, or maybe they knew right away or something usually happens that, that they like, Oh, like, this is my calling. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Like, what was it for you? Well, what I think what happened was when, once I got to playing pro ball, um, you know, uh, pro ball is a different beast. And once you start to realize that, okay, things might not be going your way, what's happening next. Um, it wasn't like a right away thing. What do I do once I got released? Like, what do I do now? I think there was the, it started to creep in that, Hey, I want to, I want to be in this game as long as possible. And, and I started to be around a lot of really good coaches and, and at the pro level and the college level where, you know, I, I just look back on my experience all the time saying, man, how lucky was I? And, you know, people could say it was, I call it luck because that's kind of what it was at first, but um, uh, how lucky was I to be in that situation around these kind of people that now have allowed me to be who I am currently. And, and I wanted to start allowing other guys who to, to be in my program or our program to be able to have a very similar type of experience, right? Be given something maybe they didn't think they were good enough to have at the moment and put their head down and work and be around people who cared about them and eventually see kind of what they could make of their life or their career. And, and to me, uh, hopefully that's just uh, uh, was a small part of why I wanted to get into coaching. You know, I had such a great experience with it. I wanted to make sure other guys were able to do it too. And so it was probably while I was playing, playing pro ball, um, kind of thought, okay, I could, I could see myself wanting to get into the college coaching game because it, of what it gave me. And, and uh, you know, that's, it was funny because after I, after I got released um, with the Tigers, I, I, I linked up in the frontier league, finished out that year on a pretty high note, tried to get picked up in the off season and it just, just didn't work. So I re-signed with, with Traverse city in the frontier league and told myself, Hey, um, I'm in really good shape. I'm, I feel pretty good this is going to like either I'm going to get picked up from this year and, and keep playing affiliated ball, or uh, this is probably it. I was approaching 27, 28 years old, you know, I, and if I want to do, if I want to start coaching and coach at a high level, I, I gotta, I gotta start. Right. Um, so I had a really good year. I was an all-star that last year um, and it didn't happen, which is fine. Um, but I got a call shortly after that from a local division three who was looking for a pitching coach. And, and uh, I, it was when he told me, Hey, I, I need some, a young guy to come in here. Can, you have full control of the pitch over the, all the pitchers, the whole pitching staff. You know, I, I'm not a pitcher. I, you know, you're going to do your thing. You're going to organize it the way you want. I was like, man, this is a, this is a great, too good of an opportunity for me to pass up to have full control right away as a first year coach. Um, you know, with no college ex coaching experience, I was like, Hey, I'll jump into the fire. I'll figure out if I'm good or not and what works and what doesn't work. 
Um, and that was kind of how I ran with, with coaching at that level. Um, so it was in the pro ball area where I started to kind of think when I was at the Tigers, they have uh, right on their facility down there in Lakeland, they have uh, dorms, right? So all the minor leaguers would stay in dorms over spring training, unless you had been in the program for five or six years then you could live off in a hotel or whatnot. But if you were, if you were newer, you had to stay in the dorms. And then if, you know, my second year, I stayed in extended spring training. So that was a lot of time in a dorm and a hundred degree heat and where I had time to think about, you know, okay, what, what's happening next for me. Right. So that's kind of where the thoughts started to creep in, where I started to get exciting, excited about, you know, what could happen after this, I was going to still work, work hard to continue to my playing career, but I also, it, it made it a little easier for me to transition out of playing and going right into coaching because I just felt like I had such a passion for, for helping players out who were in similar situations as myself. There, there's usually a plan that that you think about before you start coaching. Like you mentioned, you that Division three school, your very first year, like, hey, you got full reins, do whatever you want as a pitching coach. And I'm sure you had a, a plan heading in, like a lot of times we do. And I'm sure that that plan changes, right? Because there's things that work and things that that don't work. Like, What were some of the things that that you went in expecting to do or try or implement? Like, man, like this this did not go the way I seen because it happens to me all the time, even to this day. <laughs> uh, well, I think at the time that that division three program um, was success hadn't been around in a long time. Right. So I think there was a lot of kids in that program, maybe not all of them, but there were a lot of kids in that program who, who wanted success, who wanted to develop and wanted to be pretty good. But you got to remember at that level, you're so uh, your time is so limited with how how often you can be around those players. Your fall structure is only 16 days. You only get 16 dates to work with guys in the fall, whereas opposed to Division One, we get 45. You know, and 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 then there's hour an hour limit. And then after Division One, like after that, you have individual work. At division at Division Three, once the fall is over, you're not allowed to be around them at all until until the next semester comes. So. So they have to be pretty, you know, self-motivated players where, hey, even if coach isn't asking me to do this, I know I need to spend these next four or five, six weeks in the cages or in the weight room or getting my throwing done. So that was the biggest challenge, I think, right away, because all I wanted to do was work with them and get my hands on them and, and help mold them. Um, but then once the fall is over, you're like, man, you can put together a voluntary plan for them and and try to check in every now and then and how well it's going. But you really have no control over what they're doing at that time. They have to kind of they have to embrace it, and want to do it on their own. And um, so that was a, the biggest challenge at first, like just wanting to jump into coaching and wanting to coach and then being told you, you had you couldn't do anything for five, six, seven weeks, you know. Um, but my plan going into that was. I didn't know any better. I was going to use a lot of the things that that I had learned playing here at Central Michigan, playing pro ball and put together a plan for our pitchers. Right. And at the time we were around those times where you put together one plan and you gave it to all the guys and hopefully it worked for all of them. Probably was unlikely, you know, and I think that's where we've changed now where you have to individualize everything you do with the resources, the technology we have, the access to recruiting. If I give the same plan to get to all of our pitchers, I'm doing them a disservice, you know, like I have to get to know who they are, what makes them tick, what are their deficiencies, what are they good at, where do they struggle, are they 6'5 right-handed, or are they 5'10 left-handed, do they throw a sidearm slot, like uh, we can't give them all the same plan and expect them to, to develop all the same way, so 
I learned that quickly where this wasn't just going to be a cookie cutter, one plan, everyone get better at the same time. It just didn't work that way. So that was a, a pretty big eye opener at the time. And, and I wouldn't say it was a, a, a gut check to myself. It was kind of like, Hey, I have to adapt. Like there's people that have been coaching at the college level that that's how you sustain success. You have to be willing to change and adapt at what's working in the game and the industry. You can't just, like I mentioned before, be the same guy and do the same thing every single year because the game is changing. It's not the same. And the players are not the same. They're not the same players that we were, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ago. So um, I had to adapt. And at a younger age, I, I felt like I was pretty good at realizing that and had some good head coaches I worked with under me that allowed me to, to go to the ABCA convention every year and tell me I needed to sit through X, Y, and Z in order to see the trend, new trends in the game and how to help our guys get better. Because if I was going to do it the same way, Every year, we weren't gonna we weren't gonna develop at a at a rate that we needed to. What What do you mean by individualized programs? Like what 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 are some examples of that? Yeah, so you know, if you came to practice today and, and we had 15, 20 pitchers, their programs are all going to be a little bit different. You know, ex, you know, three guys might be doing drill work for their lower half because that's where they struggle. Other guys might be throwing a pen that day and they're on the track man of the rap soto. The other guys might be shut down and they're doing you know, they've got upper body work or they've got mobility work going on that like, so you had to individualize guys based on one kind of who they are and what their body profile was two how they moved, what they were really good at. And three, probably what, what role you, you could see them taking on. Are they a starter type guy? Do they need to be extended? Are they a bullpen scenario guy? Are they a one inning or a one, a one hitter type of guy? So I think the, building a throwing program or building a, a yearly program around those kind of things would allow our guys to be really successful in those moments. So I think we can't just treat everyone as a starter or everyone as a reliever or left or right or big, big body, short body, whatever it is, you know? And, and so I put a lot of now not having been a, head, a pitching coach for, I'm, I was a pitching coach for three years and now I've been a head coach for nine. So it's been a while since I was a pitching coach. And so I put a lot of emphasis on our pitcher pitching coaches lately to, Hey, you got to get to know your guys, like what makes them good and put a plan. Don't just put one plan together, get to know what they need to develop. And certain guys are going to need different things. And that's, you know, you can even talk about the leadership piece too, right? You got to learn who you can get on in, in a stern voice and who you need to throw your arm around and, and chat a little bit because that's the way that they're, they're going to learn a little bit differently. So, you know, just getting to know our guys and putting together those throwing programs that are individualized to who that certain person is. Our starters might be on a throwing program throughout the week where they're going to get out to 210, 2, 2, uh, 250, 280, 300, whatever it is at that kind of time of year. Our bullpen guys, they probably aren't going to be doing that because they're going to be throwing a lot more throughout the week. So just figuring out how to give them a plan that allows them to be ready to go when they step on a mound and go compete uh, compete against a hitter. What's the determining factor between you deciding if someone's going to be a starter or a reliever? Yeah, I don't know that there is one determining factor. I think in this day and age, it's I, I've come to realize it's okay to rely on our on our eyes, you know, uh, and not just what the track man says or what the ref Soto says. And yeah. it's okay to do that kind of stuff that they used to do, right? Where hey, I I like this profile of this kid. I like that he can throw two pitches for sure, and the third one is is a work in progress, but it's he can flash it a little bit, you know. So he controls the run game really well. He's under control. He can. He takes a deep breath. He monitors himself a little bit out there. He's not a high intent, high, high, high effort guy every time he pitches, right? Can you see him sustaining this for a couple of innings? Has he proven he can do it? 
And then you got your bullpen guys who are high, high energy, max effort. Maybe they are only a one and a two pitch guy um, where if you go through a lineup once, you can probably get away with that. And as soon as they turn the lineup over, you might need to go to somebody else. So um, just kind of their repertoire, what they throw, how they move, how under control they are. Do they do things like control the run game really well? Um, do they compete from the stretch? I think, you know, that's where you win is pitching from the stretch. So just a little side sidebar here, like anytime our pitchers throw bullpens, they always start from the stretch because they have to be really good pitching with runners on base. That's where you compete and win. If you're good enough from the stretch, then yeah, I'll let you finish your pen from the windup with where you're comfortable, you know? So just something that we've always done and felt like it's important for our guys to realize like that's where you make your money is when you're pitching from the stretch. And that's probably, I think, why you see a lot of people now, some of these starter guys, they just throw from the stretch the whole game, right? They get comfortable in one scenario. So when they get guys on base, they're not in panic mode. Um, you know, so I wouldn't say there's one or two particular things we look for in a starter profile. I think there's a handful of different things, but also we trust our eyes and, and hopefully we've seen a guy pitch a handful of times to realize if they can profile in that scenario or not. How often, I'm, I'm being that you have a pitching background, I know you have more experience as a head coach than a pitching coach, but how often when you're just watching pitchers, maybe not even, maybe at the college level, but maybe at recruiting too, where you can pretty easily, they're, they're tipping their pitches pretty consistently. Like, is that something that you pick up on pretty easily? Uh, yeah, I think um, not as much as you would think uh i think you know i've i've got we've got a, an assistant coach here on our staff right now that like it that's that he was trained to do that with where he was at and and before and then like during an inner squad or during a fall world series he'll just come over and say dude watch this you know and it's kind of re remarkable what guys are really good at and what they've been trained to do and how they pick up on stuff we had a former alumni out here one day who used to coach at central michigan he came to a practice and right after he said hey when Keegan's throwing, he's doing this, he's doing that. And then you go back and watch on the film and you're like, he's right. You know? So sometimes you don't always pick up on that stuff. And if you can go back and watch the film or you got another set of eyes out there that that's what they're trained to do, it becomes a huge benefit. But I, you know, there's some obvious things that you can see and you look at having been a pitcher, you're, you're taught to, you know, we can't, we got to make, the, make sure if we're coming to the plate, everything looks very similar. You can't tell where I'm going to throw a different, a breaking ball or a fastball. You can't tell if I'm going to high leg lift or slide step. I got to be able to repeat things that, to the best of my ability. So, um, you know, you, it, it, sometimes it gets, and that's why you see in the big leagues or whatnot, as soon as they start to pick up on something, you see three, four or five barrels in a row. Right. And then all of a sudden you go back and the guy on Twitter is making a, a little feed about watch this tomorrow, you know, and this is what we saw. So it doesn't, you don't pick up on it as much as you would think, but there are some coaches out there that that's how they've been trained, you know, maybe on the scouting, pre preparing a scouting report, they've been taught to watch these five pitchers and figure out, you know, X, Y, and Z to be able to help our guys. And that then it becomes second nature at practice or while they're recruiting. So um, great question, pretty unique, but you know, it probably doesn't happen as often as, as you think. When it comes to scheduling, then being that you're the head coach, you're in charge of yeah. the scheduling, how do you determine who you're going to go and play early in the season? Because one of the things I notice is you see some programs and they don't, I wouldn't say they go and they, they don't try to schedule like big time schools early on. It's usually uh, just, they kind of stay mid, they, they will be mid-major schools and they'll rack up a bunch of wins and then they'll carry that over into conference play. And then you see some other schools who, man, they're, they're challenging themselves early on and their record may not look great early on, but they're kind of getting themselves ready for conference play. Like what's your take on, on the scheduling? 
Yeah, um, I think I would kind of be towards the latter. I, I believe that you have to figure out who you are. And the, and the sooner you do that, the sooner you can make adjustments or, or you know, get yourself caught up to speed on, okay, maybe we're not as good as we think, right? Um, and I'm not saying you can't go out there and, and lose to another mid-major or go out there and beat a power five a couple of times in a weekend. And that shows you who you are. I'm not saying that at all, but I think to be able to challenge your guys early in the season when, you know, you, you've been in, at least for us, we will have been inside the entire time. Like we probably won't even be outside once before we open up our season and our first four weeks are on the road in Texas, Oklahoma, you name it, right. In better weather where they're out there all the time. So um, I just want to make sure our, our guys want that comp. They want to go play against that competition. They want to play in those environments. So when, you know, they get a chance to play in the NCAA tournament a few months from there, like they're not shell shocked by it, right? We've done this before. We've competed at a high level. That should at least give our guys a chance to feel prepared in those moments. If you never do that and you don't, you know, don't play those schools, you know, that's fine. I think it's it's worked for different programs, especially people in the Mid-American Conference. It's been a long time since we've had two teams in the NCAA tournament. And a lot of times you need to win games in order to be, you know, an at-large bid. And so sometimes the other route may work if you're trying to accomplish that, but um, it has been quite some time. So, you know, our, our goal is to play a tough schedule, play tough opponents. Um, you know, we're going to work our tails off to try to win as many of those as possible. But our, our main goal is to is to come out of there getting an idea of who we are and what we have to do moving forward to prep ourselves for conference play. I, I don't want our guys shell-shocked or unprepared for anything throughout the year. So let's throw them into those scenarios to figure out who can sink or swim or what we have to do moving forward so that when we are lucky enough to play an NCAA tournament game, you know, we're ready for those and we're not trying to catch up after three or four innings because we're just so excited that to be there, right? I, I want the expectation that, hey, we've done this before. Let's be ready to go from the get-go. Yeah, that's a great point. I didn't even really think about is is doing that. So when it when you do guys do make the NCAA tournament, it's you've already been in a very similar environment. That's a good point. Um, last question for you. Why, as a recruit, would would I if I'm a recruit like why would I want to go to Central Michigan versus maybe like some other schools that are you know close by or you know right around the same area in the same region like what what's going to be like different about you guys versus other schools in terms of why a recruit should should want to go and play for you and your program sure um probably a couple of reasons and and I might be a little biased here not just because I coach at Central Michigan but because I played here and that's you know I just hopefully that can show people like, Hey, he was a player here. He must've enjoyed all this stuff and to see his route and his unique story to want to go back there. Like there had to have been some good in those, in that scenario for me to want to have this opportunity again. Right. So um, I think just off the top, you know, we've got a younger passionate coaching staff guys who've got different backgrounds who, you know, we all didn't play division one. We all didn't play pro ball. We all didn't coach at division one level. I've got coaches on my staff who've, played division two, division three, and have coached at those levels. And, and we've had to work our way here. So I think that's a, a unique story where, you know, there's been a lot of times where you have to make do with what you have, or you have to be really good with certain things and, and, and figure it out as you go. Right now we're in a program where, to be honest with you, we, we probably have top two, top three, if not the best facility in the Mid-American Conference. Um, we've got a full turf, brand new turf about a year ago. We've got stadium seating on close to 3,000. We have a track, a built-in track man at our stadium. We have an indoor hitting facility attached to our clubhouse, which is attached to our dugout. We have a practice field. 
Um, so like when guys get here, they don't need to leave. They don't need to go anywhere else that, that we're the only school in the Mac that has all of that attached to their dugout. So you can get, you walk in one door, you can be hitting in the indoor cages. You can be in the athletic training room. You can be in our scouting report team meeting room, our clubhouse and in the dugout without leaving the building. So that is a huge tool when it comes to recruiting, when it comes to player development. I think players want to go somewhere where they're going to have a chance to get better. And then, yeah, not only do they need the coaches who care about them and the technology and all that kind of stuff, but they need the resources to be able to do it. You know, in our program, we preach working on your own. I think if you're going to show up at practice for two, two and a half hours every day and work your tail off, that's great. That's what we ask you to do, but probably not good enough. You know, I need you to come early. I need you to stay late. I need you to come on the weekends. I need you to bring your teammates with you who maybe aren't going as much, you know, on a certain day. And when I show up at practice an hour before and I see a bunch of guys hitting in the, in the cages or hitting ground balls to each other outside, like I get really excited because that tells me that we got the right guy, kind of guys in our program, guys who eat, sleep and breathe this game. And but they're all also really good in the classroom and they're great people and they're great teammates. But they, they realize how important it is to put a little time in and do, do some extra work every now and then. So if we're going to talk about that and make it a big emphasis in our program, we got to have the indoor cages. They got to have 24 access, you know, 24 seven access to the clubhouse and to the field and our indoor facility. And they all have that here. So from a player development standpoint, that's a, that's a pretty, a pretty unique setup, um, you know, and then kind of based on some of the things we've touched on already, I think, you know, we're going to schedule tough opponents. Uh, I think that's going to be or allow our guys to play in those environments, which are, are pretty cool experiences. And, and our goals are to compete for championships, compete to play in the NCAA tournament, let our guys go play at the next level. We've, we've had several players get drafted out of Central Michigan, and we've got a phenomenal alumni base here. People who just will show up at practice you haven't seen in 10, 15 years, and they'll come out there and they'll watch and they'll say, hey, how's this, how's the practice going? How's the team going? Like this is, it's really important to them. So our alumni base is very, very unique and, and heavily involved. And, you know, we've got guys playing in the big leagues. Now we got former all Americans. We got people like, like Dave Kylitz, who is just a, a huge, a huge face in college baseball, who is right here in Mount Pleasant and, and uh, that supports our program. So we've got a, a lot of great things here at CMU and, and we just want to make sure our guys have a great experience while they're here. And I know, Baseball is certainly going to be a big part of that, but I also want them to not forget that, you know, you're here to get your degree, but you're also here to, to be a student too. Like it's okay to have a weekend off every now and then and go to a football game or hang out with your friends. And that's part of the experience as well. So as much as we want our guys to be really good and work hard all the time, I do ask them to take a breather every now and then and enjoy their experience as a student here at Central Michigan as well, because we're going to ask a lot of their time during the spring. We're going to be on the road quite a bit. They're going to be at practice and this and that. So like right now in the fall, I kind of give them the, the weekends off to kind of enjoy that experience from that standpoint too. So, um, you know, hopefully they have a lot of teammates that care about them when they get here, they care about their success more than their own. You know, so by the time you graduate in four or five years, you got 40 best friends, guys you're going to invite to your wedding, guys that you're going to, you know, reach out to and come back for alumni day or homecoming. Um, that stuff is really valuable and unique for me. So I just want to make sure guys in our in our program are able to do that when they're done. Awesome. Jake, appreciate you coming on today, man. It's good stuff. Patrick, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Awesome.